Hi, you're listening to Mental Health Allowed by OC87 Recovery Diaries. I'm Editor-in-Chief Gabriel Nathan, encouraging you to sign up for this podcast wherever you listen. And check us out for more mental health recovery stories at oc87recoverydiaries.org. Managing Suicidality. How I Have Survived All My Hardest Days by Valérie Brousseau. The last time I tried to kill myself, I needed 14 stitches. The time before that, I was in a coma for almost a week. The very first time, I passed out in the back seat of a taxi from an overdose. With each suicide attempt I survived, a new plan for treatment was made. The hope was that I would be treated and get better. End of story. I wish I could tell you a simple story of being diagnosed, finding treatment, and recovering. Recovery, however, is not a straight line. It is more akin to a tangled squiggle, vaguely sauntering in what is hopefully a forward direction. My journey has been riddled with ups and downs, slip-ups, and falls. There were times I thought I would never improve, but so far, I've picked myself up each time. Suicide. It's a word that frightens and shocks. It's a word most people don't pronounce lightly. If suicidal thoughts are something you experience, maybe you believe you won't be taken seriously. Maybe you're afraid of scaring the people close to you. Maybe you feel that your darkest place is too dark for anyone to understand, or that you'll be judged. I was 10 years old the first time I discussed my desire to die. My friend's mother overheard me, and then told my mother, who asked if I wanted to talk to someone. The thought of talking to a stranger was overwhelming. I said no. I don't remember exactly how I felt, but I do know I was a very emotional child. I often cried myself to sleep. I felt a great amount of anxiety, and I was bullied. Once I entered high school, things changed. I made a supportive group of friends who were like sisters to me, and I believe that was the emotional buffer I needed to keep my symptoms and suicidality at bay. Once I reached university, things started to unravel. I was stressed, anxious, and depressed. But I was so adept at hiding it, at putting on the facade of the bright, fun, energetic girl who was the life of the party. I was living a double life. I was the girl everyone wanted to be like or be with. Meanwhile, on the inside, I wanted to end my life. It was confusing. It was painful. I pushed aside any thoughts that things did not have to be this way and settled into a comfort and familiarity with the pain of my emotions. This was just the way life was. Research has shown that talking about suicide out loud, intentionally and candidly, significantly reduces someone's chances of killing themselves. Talking about it relieves the pressure of the emotions the person is experiencing and gives them an outlet to be honest, to admit that they're struggling. My suicide attempts stemmed from intense emotional pain. 
pain I thought I wasn't strong enough to live through, real psychological pain brought on by very real challenges. It was a feeling I couldn't contain. I'm diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder and borderline personality disorder, BPD. Both of these illnesses are characterized by a magnitude of emotions most people don't experience. The seventh diagnostic criterion for BPD is chronic feelings of emptiness. This is something I still struggle with. That feeling of worthlessness, purposelessness, that nothing matters and nothing is worth it. BPD brings on rapid changes in mood based on mostly interpersonal triggers and a delayed return to baseline. For me, these triggers were almost all within romantic relationships. I would find myself defining the meaning of my life through the partner I currently had, and when that went poorly, nothing mattered, and I was worthless. This intensity of emotion was almost unbearable and made me react with behaviors that weren't always effective. When I was in a disagreement or an argument with my partner, I needed things resolved now. I needed to know I was loved. I needed to know we were okay. If my partner walked away or needed a moment away from the conflict, I would become manipulative. I would start packing a bag, claiming to be going to my families or my best friends. This wasn't conscious manipulation. It was the best way I knew how to ask for help for my need to be met. Bipolar disorder, on the other hand, sends me into bouts of depression and periods of hypomania or mania, both extremes of the spectrum. These extremes are just as unbearable. I once rode an ATV around Mykonos in Greece, my hair free in the wind and my iPod blaring as whitewashed and blue-trimmed towns blurred by. I turned a corner and found myself at the top of a cliff, watching the horizon turn a soft orangey pink and the sun set into the deep turquoise of the Mediterranean. I stopped. I stood on my ATV, turning the music even louder. I could have jumped off the edge of that cliff. I wanted to breathe in the pinks and oranges and smoke out every bad thought I'd ever had with these soft, bright colors. In that moment, I was truly limitless, invulnerable. I laughed and reached up to the sky. I could do anything. I was everything I had ever wanted to be. I needed no one. But with every upswing comes depression. When I'm in the depressive part of my cycle, I am no one. I am nothing. Laughter is not something I can remember. It feels so far from anything I know or believe in. Depression keeps me tied to my bed, like being in the orbit of a very large planet. I live my days in the penumbra of my illness, and it almost kills me. I lived in these extremes for years, unaware that there was a reason for it. I spent a long time believing that if I tried harder, I could be different, better, that I could be normal. I saw most people around me handling life without crumbling at every onset of emotion, and I decided I must be doing something wrong. I was finally diagnosed in my early 20s. My family made an appointment with a psychologist for me, and I learned that there were names for what I'd been experiencing and 
more importantly, that there was treatment. I thought being given a diagnosis would make me feel even more different. I thought that it would make me feel judged, but it gave me logic. It gave me a name to what I was feeling, and it showed me that other people experienced this as well. I wasn't alone, and it was not a shortcoming, nor was it a flaw in character. These were very real conditions, and there was a treatment for them. I now know I've struggled with mental illness my whole life. Having reached the other end of the tunnel alive, diagnosed, and supported, I can understand what is different about me. I've learned how my mental illnesses affect my life and how I can manage them. Learning to manage my mental health is not a once-and-done task. It's something I do consistently every day. I gave myself a more stable baseline by finding the right medications, learning the skills to cope through therapy, and practicing those skills regularly. I spent five months living in a residential treatment program for borderline personality disorder, working on dialectical behavioral therapy day in, day out with nine other women with the same diagnosis. It was a challenge at times, but I learned skills that saved my life. In the case of so many people like me, mental illness is a chronic problem that will be managed for years, if not the rest of our lives. The key to managing these issues is speaking openly, candidly, and honestly about mental illness. That is what I hope to promote and support. At a time in my recovery when I was feeling more stable, I decided to seek a volunteer position at a crisis helpline. I wanted to help provide a service I wish I knew existed when I was struggling with suicidality. I live in Oshawa at the time and found Distress Center Durham's website. I've now been involved with DCD for almost 10 years, volunteering as a helpline responder, taking on leadership roles and training new volunteers. Through this work, I've become more and more involved in mental health, taking every training that was made available to me, furthering my skills and knowledge. In 2016, Distress Center Durham named me Volunteer of the Year. In 2017, I was awarded a province-wide volunteer award by Distress and Crisis Ontario called the Spirit of Volunteerism Award for my outstanding dedication to the Distress Center and my volunteer work there. During my time as a volunteer, I started understanding the importance of speaking up and being honest. I began sharing my story with fellow volunteers and to the volunteers I was training. I found that they were inspired and that they gained a better understanding of the people they were connecting with on the helpline. This encouraged me to keep sharing and keep trying to promote understanding and compassion. The mental health field has become my passion. This passion prompted me to start a business as a speaker and a workshop facilitator. I aim to use the platform I'm creating to talk with people on a genuine level and encourage them to talk about mental illness. Talking about it with kindness and empathy is the only way to create a safe space that people can reach out to to seek help. I give workshops and presentations in schools, colleges, and universities. I offer workshops for corporate groups and community agencies. I speak at events and fundraisers. It is a little bit selfish, honestly. Inspiring people, connecting with people, helping people feel less alone. I do it partially because it makes me feel good. 
worthy, useful. I thrive on raw and real connection, and working in this field allows me to give positive meaning to what I have experienced. It has propelled my recovery forward by giving me a deeper reason to live, by teaching me to celebrate my accomplishments and believe in my worthiness. A therapist I worked with for years once told me that, so far, I have survived all my hardest days. This told me there would, unfortunately, still be hard days, but also that I was capable of facing and overcoming them. Recovery doesn't get easier. We just get better at it. When I first started realizing this, I felt despair. I felt like the fact that my mental illnesses would never be cured was a death sentence. Now I realize it gives me the opportunity to show resilience, to master the management of my symptoms, and to help support others. When my journey of recovery began, I wasn't sure what to expect. I quickly realized how much hard work it takes. I realized how despair is a friend I'd have to cozy up to. It comes on so sweet and soft you barely notice it, and it settles in the pit of your stomach and in the wrinkles of the bed sheets you can't bring yourself to leave. It's something I still have to fight. You might say I've learned resilience and found my passion the hard way. However, my struggles have helped me understand on a deeper level the power my story can have. My mental illness has led me to a career where I can truly affect change. I don't regret the pain I have been through. I've seen how hard I can fight this thing, and all I know is I'm going to keep trying. Don't be ashamed of how different you are. Be proud of how far you've come. And if you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call, text, or chat the Suicide Crisis Lifeline in America at 988. If you are in Canada, you can call 1-833-456-4566 or text 45645 between 4 p.m. and midnight. Valérie Brosseau was born in Montreal, Canada, and she's always been a writer. She's also a passionate speaker and mental health advocate. She writes to express, release, and connect. She's always said that her goal is to write something that means something to somebody. She began volunteering in the mental health field in 2013, winning awards for her volunteer work and developing a strong passion for mental health advocacy and awareness. In 2019, she delivered a TEDx talk on the stigma surrounding suicide. She's also written for organizations such as the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and the International Bipolar Foundation. Valerie's goal is to start honest conversations about mental health. She now delivers talks and workshops, equipping companies and organizations with the tools and language to support others and manage their own mental health. You've been listening to Mental Health Allowed by OC87 Recovery Diaries. I'm Editor-in-Chief Gabriel Nathan, encouraging you to sign up for this podcast wherever you listen. And check us out for more mental health recovery stories at oc87recoverydiaries.org.